morning. Missed being with you the last week or so, and it's good to be back here at, uh, at Hazelwood. You know, I took some time off, and uh, we had an inundation of rain. I don't know how much you got down here. I think we had like 10 and a half inches where I live, and uh, that was uh, about 10 inches more than I wanted. But uh, I, I want to thank this church. I heard that our church came to the rescue, some folks in need here at Hazelwood. Thank you for your ministry to the people of this community. That means a lot to the people. It means a lot to this church that, uh, that people could look at this church and, and find it a, a, a place that uh, has the community as, as an interest. Uh, but, but thank you for, for that. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. We'll go on through verse 17. We're going to look at faith in the gospel. Paul says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests that perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful to be able to hold in our hands a copy of your word. Uh, Lord, this word is God-breathed. Father, you enabled people of old to, to pen what your spirit had said to them. Father, so when we read this, we are reading the words of God. Father, whatever the world may say, with its ideas and ideals, Father, it, uh, it, it does not come close to what you have to say to us. Father, your word is truth, absolute truth, and we thank you for it. Now, Lord, I, I thank you for our church here at Hazelwood. Thank you for her service to, to you and to the community. Lord, may you be blessed in our service Lord, may this church be benefited in the service in Christ's name. Amen. So we begin with a question today. 
How is your faith and the faith of this church being seen in the eyes of the people of this community? You know, I started writing this prior to the, uh, the rains that we got. And uh, I started working on this some time ago, actually. Uh, not knowing about the next, you know, couple of days later that we'd be having a flood. But uh, how is your faith seen uh, individually and by the people of this community? Several years ago, I, uh, I had asked that uh, our Missouri Baptist Convention uh, would send someone to evaluate the effectiveness of the church I was pastoring. Now, this is some years ago, but I had called and said, can you send somebody or some buddies to come and, and, and evaluate our church, evaluate our ministries, what we're doing here? Uh, three people were sent to the church. One of them was the state Sunday school director. Another was the state discipleship director. And a third person was the state children's director. And they, and they came to our church. And, uh, and after they had looked at our facilities, they, they scoped off the community. They looked at the ministries of our church uh, that, that we had been engaged in, in, a, in, that, in that, at that time. Uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the people stopped me and said to me, he said, if this church... If this church were not here, would the community miss it? So I ask you today this question. If Hazelwood Baptist Church were not here, would the community miss it? I will let you answer that. You know, I think that that is probably a very subjective question. And each person is going to answer for him or herself as to what they feel the effectiveness of this church is in the community. Uh, how, is, how is the faith of this church seen in the community? How is the ministry of this church seen in the community? Uh, when people look at you and people find out that you go to Hazelwood Baptist Church, uh, does that mean something to them? I'm not talking about people from this church, but I'm talking about the people who are outside of this church. When they hear that you go to Hazelwood Baptist Church, does that mean anything to them? As you read Paul's introduction to the believers in Rome, you'll note that he is commending them for their fervency of their faith. If you look at verse 8, he says, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, naturally, he's talking about the, the known world at that time, that, that Roman world, which was all around the Mediterranean Sea. To them, that was the world. But everywhere he went, he heard about the, the, the faith of the people of Rome. What faith will produce in a person's life as well as in the life of a church is not only how it is demonstrated by both the person and the church, but also how the faith is received by others. 
How, how is the faith, how is the faith of this church impacting the people of this community, whether they're saved or lost? What, what is your impact to them? So it is due to these qualities that Paul is most willing to bring their faithful services to the Lord with both thanksgiving and with a personal desire, personal desire to impart to them some spiritual gift. Paul says, I want to give you a spiritual gift. The impact of his prayer and desire is to cause them to grow upward, to grow upward in continued service and also downward into deeper development, leading then to further commitment of faith to which they have been called. You know, if you look at a, at a skyscraper building, uh, you know, I, I, just talking to some, I'm, I'm not an engineer at all, but talking to engineers who know building, they said, you can't go high unless you go deep. If you want a, a 2,000 foot tall building, you've got to have a, you, have, you, have to, you need to have a foundation to support that building. In, in Dubai, the tallest building in the world is almost one half mile high. It's 2,500 feet tall. 2,500 feet. I mean, that is, that is almost a half a mile. A mile is 5,280 feet. This is just, this is a hundred and some feet shy of being a half a mile high. But could you imagine the depth of that superstructure the, the, the depth that they had to go down in order to support something that massive. And think about this in your own life. How deep do you need to go in your faith in order to be of great service to somebody, be of service to a neighbor, <clears throat> more importantly, of being of service to God? How deep do you need to go in your prayer, in your Bible study time, in your meditation, in your activities, in your calling? How deep do you need to go in order to accomplish something that really matters so that your faith can be spoken of when, when you walk out of this place? And people stop you and say, listen, where, where do you go to church? Say, I go to Hazelwood Baptist Church. What does that mean to people? The faith of this church and the faith of the individual matters. It matters. After spending a few words on his desire to go to Rome and to be with his brothers and sisters of faith, he then goes on to perhaps write by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some of the most mem memorable words of this book. If, if you look at the book of Romans... Just take, the, just take all, all 16 chapters of it. There are a couple of verses, three, three verses in fact. Verses 15, 16, and 17 are some of the most memorable words that Paul has written in this book. And that's what I want to concentrate on today is those, those, three, those three verses. In this passage, Paul relates both faith and the preaching of the gospel as being necessary and being united and being united in purpose. That he, that he puts this together. He puts faith together with the preaching of the gospel. That a person of faith, 
a person of faith is going to be a witness for Christ. But please don't misunderstand me and think that that is just about evangelization. It's not just about being an evangelist. We are not all called to be evangelists. I know some guys who are tremendous evangelists. I know some guys who are not very good evangelists. I probably put myself in that category. There are some guys who are tremendous at it, and that's just so natural for them. I know some guys. I had a I had a good Assembly of God pastor friend, and uh, he was the best. He was the best hospital visitor. I ever, ever encountered in, encountered in my ministry. The guy would walk into a hospital. I don't care if that person were terminal. He'd walk into that hospital. And I, I went visiting in hospitals with him a couple, three times. And he was so good. Listen, if a person knew that they were going to die, he could get a smile on their face. This guy was great. But in order for him to accomplish that, it isn't just that, well, that's, that's my gift. He had to go down deep within his own soul and to prepare himself for that ministry. I'm asking you, church, what, what are you willing to dig down deep into your soul for in order for that to just, to, to just gush out and say, this is who I am. This is what I do. Whether it's visitation, or whether it's evangelization, or whether it's teaching, or whatever it might be doing. Maybe it's some service-oriented position here at the church. Whatever you might do, that you should do it, if you excuse the term, do it with gusto. There should be some enthusiasm in what we do. A people of faith are by necessity going to be a people who are God's witnesses. And again, I don't mean just evangelism, but also being witnesses through the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in both the administration of His spiritual gifts and through the producing of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to share something with you. If you would look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Paul writes this right into the church of Corinth. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, that means to each person, not to each church, but to each person in the church, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What, what is God, what has God placed in your heart? Say, this is what I am really, really wanting to do. This is what I am good at. I've studied it. I've prayed about it. I feel wonderful. This is what I want to do. What is it that the Spirit of God has put into your heart and into your soul that you want to exhibit before the people? It is a matter of exercising the faith that you have because God has given each one of you a spiritual giftedness to accomplish something. God has never called a person to be saved and just come and sit in the pew and do nothing. 
Christianity is not a do-nothing religion. It's about involvement. It's about being a witness. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. It's just not in just proclaiming the gospel, the three steps or the whatever, the five points or the, the four this and the three that and the two that. It's about exhibiting, exhibiting that giftedness that God has placed within you. Because he lists a whole bunch of gifts over here. And this is not an exhaustive list. He lists other gifts in the scripture too. In the book of Romans he lists some gifts also. But there's, there's all kinds of gifts. There's gifts of administration. Gifts of hospitality. Gifts of service. Gifts of teaching. Gifts of evangelization. But he works all of those things together in the church for the common good. So faith, so faith being exercised in the church is that we all together in the church take whatever God has given us and we exercise that in order that there's a common good that not only are we built up, but we go down deep also. So that the deeper we go, the deeper we go into, into, into faith and the deeper we go into the knowledge of Christ and the deeper we go into study of God's Word, that, the, that, that depth produces height. You want to go high? You've got to go deep. Not only does the Spirit of God give us a giftedness, but if you look at, if you look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, and, you know, we could do this without reading the Scripture, but let me read the Scripture. It says, verse 22, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 22 of, of Galatians. Paul writing to the churches of Galatia. By the way, it's not a church. There are several churches in Galatia. And, and, and just so, so that you know, it's Galatia today is Turkey. When they talk about the churches of Galatia, he's talking about a place called Turkey. And today it's a Muslim nation, but back then there were several churches, the churches of Galatia. And listen to what Paul says. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. God gives you, an individual, a gift. That gift should produce in you a fruit. And that fruit exhibits itself in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when you are doing what God has called you to do, you cannot help but produce the kind of fruit that brings honor to God and allows you to go down deep and go up high. Allows you to be a person of faith that that faith is exhibited both personally and publicly. Friends, it's not only about the sharing of the gospel, it's also about the living out of the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we come to verse 15. Verse 15. Paul says, for, uh, So for my part, I am eager, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
I'm eager to preach the gospel. His mind and heart were ready to do the task that God had called him to do. That was his task. God had said, listen, God said, I want you to preach the gospel. And you know how God got him to Rome? Are you aware of how God got Paul to Rome? In order to get Paul to Rome, God had to get him in trouble. Are you aware of that? It wasn't, it wasn't a, a luxury liner heading out to Rome. He was on a prison ship. Got shipwrecked, bitten by a viper. Remember all that? In order for God to get Paul to Rome, he had to go through something in order to get to somewhere. And in order for God to do something, you're like, maybe God's got to get you through something in order to get you to somewhere. We're all looking for the, the easiest road to hoe. We don't, want to, we don't want to do any kind of labor. A lot of us don't. Where There's a lot of rocks to take care of. Back where I came from before I moved here to, back into St. Charles County, you couldn't dig down two inches without hitting rock. There was just rock everywhere. Folks, maybe God has called you and I to remove rocks. I don't know that, but maybe. When you get rid of the rocks, there's soil. When you get to the soil, there's, there's seed that can be planted. When that seed is planted and watered and cared for, it produces growth. When it produces growth, it produces sustenance. Maybe God's called this church to do that very thing. I don't know. But I do know this, that God has given to each one of you a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift. And God, because He's given you that spiritual gift, God says, you, you produce from that gift Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because against those things there is no law. Whatever else may happen in this world, when you do what God has called you to do, there is no law that can be set against that that says, well, you can't do that. Listen, when God says that that is our job to do, then that is our job to do. If the law says you can't do that, then maybe you'll find yourself on a prison ship heading to Rome. I don't know. But that's where Paul found himself because he was doing the will of God. I like what it says in King James, I oft would have come to you, but I was let hitherto. We don't talk like that today. If I were to tell you that, you'd say, what is he saying? He said, I wanted to come to you, but God prevented me. But now he's opened a door for me. He's opened a door. I'm on a prison ship. Headed across some rough seas. 
I got to go to a strange land and encounter strange people and have, have my doings with a viper. But I'm heading to Rome to see you because I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Paul in Philippians 4, 13. Listen, in Philippians 4, everybody, people, I see people with tattoos, and I don't get a tattoo of Philippians 4, 13. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? That's not, that's not all things without exception. Only, only an idiot would believe that. I can't do all things without exception. But I can do all things that God has willed for me to do for Him. If God has called you to a particular ministry, if God has called you to service, maybe, maybe your giftedness is giving. You know, there are some people who give 20, 25, 30%. I, I don't know. But if God's called you to do that, then give it with cheerfulness. With hilarity. This is what God's called you to do. The deeper you go, the higher you get. Maybe God's called you to teach. The deeper you go into the study of His Word, the higher you get. You watch that class grow with you. You see disciples being made because of your ability to to preach and teach and share the Word of God. An uncanny ability. Where did it come from? It's a a charisma gift from the Holy Spirit. What the mind has been inspired by God to comprehend becomes the task of the heart that should be done. And that's why Paul did write Philippians 4.13. He says, listen, my heart wants to do this because I know that God has strengthened me to do this. Now, folks, please understand that he's not saying that I can do all things again without, without exception. No, don't, don't believe that when people say you can do whatever, whatever you want to do. No, no, no. But he's saying, listen, because I'm a new creation, I'm a new creature, that now I have a new goal. I have a new purpose. I have a new direction. And because I have a new goal, a new purpose, a new direction, that God has given me the ability to accomplish those goals. To fulfill that purpose, to reach, the, to reach my, that, to maintain that course, to be faithful in that course and follow that course. Now then, because he is a new creation in Christ, he is then eager. He's eager to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Now we should know that. In the world today, there is much contempt for the message of the gospel. It changes both the mind and the heart. The gospel gives a person a 180 turnabout in ideas and goals. But there is also, besides contempt for the gospel, you know, when when a person is heading this way, and they're opposed to the things of God, and they're heading this way, and all of a sudden, they, they are hit 
smack dab right in, the, right in the brain, right in the heart and in the mind with the gospel of Jesus Christ and it begins to make sense to them and the heart is regenerated and they turn their life over to Jesus Christ and they turn the other way. Listen, do you not think that the people that they were associated with, do you not think that there's contempt for this person who has now changed their life? And instead of being a person of hostility toward God, they're now walking with God. Instead of being opposed to God, they're now a friend of God. Instead of being a person without hope, they're a person who has hope in God. And now they're walking with God. So now there's contempt for the gospel. But besides contempt, there's also humiliation. Much of the world sees the gospel, hears the gospel, sees the people who believe the gospel, and they look at this person, and they look at the the words of God, and they consider it to be foolish. The message of the gospel is foolish to those who think of of themselves to be wise in the world of ideas that really matter. The world has its ideas as what is really important. If you don't believe me, just listen to the news. There is a worldview out there that has contempt for the gospel. And they think that we are foolish, not relevant. A bunch of dinosaurs that we use our Christianity as a crutch. But then we come back to the scripture. When, when, you, when, when you are humiliated by the ideas and the ideals of this world, come back to the scripture that tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You'll always find that in the world. Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Rome was a city of pomp and ceremony. Rome was a city of political power. Rome was a city of military might. But Paul says, I've got a message that when it is preached, is able to unveil the power of God in verse 16. Paul has a gospel message that should God so will, he could unleash a thousand legions of angels to attend to his need. A gospel message loaded with the most effectual power in all the universe. It isn't like other worldly powers which have the ability to, to destroy lives. The power of God's gospel has the ability to give life It raises from death and issues forth in new life. It removes from the domain of darkness and and transforms us to the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that we were dead, but God has made us alive. Listen, we were lying low, but God has raised us up. Wait, there's still more. We were standing in protest but God has now seated us in heavenly places. So for my part, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In it, 
the powers of grace, mercy, and peace. In it is the power of the Holy Spirit who effectually administers God's sovereign saving grace that operates in a sinner and transforms them from sinner to saint. I'll close with verse 17. Paul says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now friends, listen. Righteousness should never be, as, never be seen as something that is brought about by our own doing. You cannot, you cannot do righteous acts in any way, shape, or form that God just goes, wow, look at all so-and-so out there. Nothing we do impresses God. I mean, look at us. Is, is there anyone here that God just looks down and says, wow, I don't know how I made it without such and such a person. Does God need any of us? Is our righteousness so pure that God says, man, I wish I had such and such a righteousness that this person has? No. Righteousness comes from God by His direct will. When we think of righteousness, we should do so with this in mind, that it is a standard in which our behavior is in line with the standard of God. God has set a standard. Here is God's standard. And where, where would our standard be? If this is God's standard, where's our standard? And this is the best that we do. God says, listen, I want you to be up on my standard. How do we get from here to here? I'm going to give you a simple answer through Jesus. Jesus is able to maintain through his whole earthly life existence, he's able to maintain a perfect standard that God has required. And when Christ goes to the cross and he bears our sin and the Father's wrath in His own body. He takes our sin and it is nailed to the cross in Christ. Folks, Christ took your sin. As a believer, He took your sin. As the church, He took your sin. As a saint, He took your sin and placed it upon Himself that now you in Christ are able to meet this standard that God has. Not down here. And if you use the church as an example of being righteous, folks, here's what you're going to be doing. But you're never going to maintain this. But in Christ, you are, listen, in Christ, you're raised up. In Christ, you're seated with. In Christ, you're made alive. In Christ, God loves you. But only in Christ, not in you. Not in your own will but only through Christ. Without Christ, we live by a standard that is compliant to and adjusted by the social norms as is determined by the culture in which we exist. Every culture says, Here, here's the social norm that we are to live by. I can remember when I was doing HR work, I would call up and, and, and I, I had to get references for people and 
Once in a while, you get somebody that always had a smart answer. Well, they're living according to the social standards or the social norms of the day. That's exactly what we don't want. You want people to, you want people to work for you who are living by the social norms of today? Whatever that means. I want a person who lives by the norms that God has established, not by what the culture has established. Have you seen the norms of the culture today? Is that what you want to live by? Is that what floats your boat? I don't think so. God does not measure righteousness in accordance with the social norms of, or cultural trends. His is based upon absolute perfection by which we have no possibility of achieving. However, as I said earlier, in Christ, our guilt, our sin is taken away. It's nailed to the cross. In Christ, it is, sin has lost its power. It has lost its practice. And one day in Christ, the sin which we own will have lost its presence. In your mind, if you can imagine the, the tabernacle of God or the temple of God, either one. But in that tabernacle and in that temple, there was a veil, a thick, thick veil that separated man from God. It, it, it hid the most holy place from the eyes of humanity. Only once a year, once a year could the high priest enter there and that for just a very brief time. Once a year. But listen, the veil which has for so long divided man from God has been removed. The veil which his, has kept us from God's holy presence has been torn apart, and now a door is open to us through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is the person who is now made righteous or justified who shall forever live on the merits of that cross, of the cross. Not by will, not by work, but by the elective purpose of God who has called them. These then shall have been brought to the, from the saving faith to a demonstration of continued faith. You see, when God saved you by faith, by grace through faith. God not only saved you by grace through faith, not only did God provide the grace and the faith for you, but he says, I want you to exercise, I want you to exercise the faith I have given you. Exercise the faith I have given you. Listen, exercise the faith. Whatever giftedness I have given you, God says, listen, whatever giftedness you have, exercise that, build it up. Otherwise, if you do not exercise the faith that you have, it atrophies. You know what that is? If you were to take a perfectly good right arm and tie it to your side for weeks, so it is Im immovable, and you tie it to your side for weeks, and then after weeks of being tied to your side, untie it. And see how much strength you have in that right arm. We do the same thing oftentimes with faith. God has given you grace. God has given you faith. He says exercise that faith. Build it up. 
Make it go deep so that it can go high. Be my witnesses. Let people see you. Let people experience you. Let people experience the Christ in you who is the hope of glory. Those people that have been brought from saving faith have now come to a place of demonstration of continued faith. Friend, today, you by faith can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not a faith that you have. It's a faith that God administers to you. But by faith, you can come to a saving knowledge of Christ. It is not just some intellectual agreement that tells you that Jesus Christ is God. Listen, many people say, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. Well, I, I believe that donkeys kick, too. What does that do for me? The devil believes that Jesus is God. That doesn't help him much, does it? You need something more than just believing that Jesus Christ is God. What is necessary for you is that you place your total trust, your total trust into Him to be both your Savior and your Lord. Your trust in Him to be your Savior and your Lord. When you say that you're my Savior, that means that you have, that you have redeemed me. And when you say that He is Lord, well, you're saying that you now become my boss. You direct my paths. Savior, He redeemed you. Lord, He directs you. There's a song that says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Lord, I'm so blessed to be here with these people. I thank you for them. Lord, perhaps there might be someone here today that is without Christ in his or her life. Lord, I just ask today, Lord, that you will, you'll work through your spirit, Lord, to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Bring them to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. We ask in your name, amen.